that he has sent something to you. Amen. All right. So my apologies to those of you uh, who have missed out on where we are up to this point. Um, uh, obviously, we've had some uh, streaming issues, but thank you to my brother Brian for uh, alerting us to that. So, um, so when he says, I'm going to jump right back in where we were, when he says, who told you you were naked, what we see, of course, is that now Adam is um, acting on and responding to information uh, that did not come from, from his creator, that did not come from God. It was information that came from a, a source or a channel other than, um, than God. And, of course, we know uh, that obviously that uh, severely impacted their life reality and, and continues to impact uh, reality on uh, planet Earth today. Uh, another quote that we looked at was from uh, Bill Johnson. And Bill Johnson, uh, very quotable, but uh, perhaps one of my uh, favorite quotes from him, is that Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. Wow. Theology being the study of God and uh, if you want to know who God really is and what he's really like, then study the life of Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. I like to say it this way. If you can't find it in the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus, then it's not God. Uh, because we see that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, amen, you have seen a thorough, a specific, and a particular revelation of who God is to man. So a lot of confusion about that. We'll talk a little bit about that more a little bit more about that uh, today, but there are, there's a lot of confusion in our world today about who God really is and what he's really like, but if you want to know that, uh, study the life of Jesus because Jesus is perfect theology. Then one of the last things that we talked about last week was this simple question, um, and it's the simple question you should ask uh, for everything that has anything to do with you, and that question is, what does the word say? What does the Word say? Uh, we can never afford to lose sight in our daily lives of what the Word of God has to say about our lives, about our situations, about our families, about our finances. When I say er everything that has anything to do with you, there is, there is no uh, issue in life, there is no situation, no dilemma in life that you will ever face that God has not already had multiple things to say about. So it's extremely important that we make the Word of God not our last resort, but our way of life, that the Word of God has uh, overriding supremacy in our lives, that it's not just that the Word of God has the top spot, but that the Word of God um, and the Lordship of Jesus is what everything else in our lives bows its knee to. And uh, these things, again, are extremely important. Now, before we go any, any further, let me just go all the way back to class number one and remind you that there is no separating discipleship from continuing in the Word. There, these two things are mutually dependent upon one another. And we see this, of course, from the lips of Jesus in John chapter 8, uh, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. People love to throw that statement around, you know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Really, you hear a lot of people, even in the world, who don't, maybe don't even know it's a Bible verse, they just simply say the truth will make you free. Well, certainly the Bible says the truth will make you free, but you have to 
take that in the context that it was given. And Jesus said to those who shown, had shown some interest in him and in, in who he was and what he was doing, he said to them, if you abide or continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And as a disciple, continuing in the word, this is how you come to the knowledge of the truth that will enable you to experience a life reality of freedom. Praise God. Now, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Praise God. Really, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. So 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse number 16. It says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I'll leave that up for a moment. We dug into that, uh, the original language on this word inspiration. It's the Greek word theonoustos. And um, this literally means it's breathed out from God. It's something that originated in God and was released from Him. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The next thing we see here is that all Scripture given by inspiration of God, First, it, it, it's profitable. Profitable means it has benefit, it has uh, reward. It, when we think in terms of profit in, in a business, the profit of a business or the loss of a business, this would be you know, whether or not the, the, the business is making gains, then it's, it's earning a profit, it's producing a profit, or of course a deficit or, or a loss. And so the Word of God is profitable, it will produce increase, it'll produce benefit, it'll, it'll produce growth uh, in your life, it'll, it'll separate you from things uh, in, in the world and the things of the flesh. So it's profitable for doctrine. Then we see this word reproof, profitable, beneficial, helpful for reproof. Reproof is, um, you know, when, when something is, is being reproved, it's the idea of identifying what's wrong. Uh, think of troubleshooting. Um, you know, we were me and my dad were talking uh, the other day about you know these new cars and the technology that's in in, the, in these new automobiles today. It's, it's it's amazing compared to you know some of the cars that he had when he was a young man or a teenager. You know, and you know one of the more challenging things about re repairing a car is first of all to, to identify what is actually wrong with it. Uh, once you can, you know, finally identify what's wrong with it, then, um, you know, then at that point, you know, you, you can proceed with fixing it. Um, it's kind of like when, you know, your car's making a noise and you carry it to the mechanic and then you can't ever get it to make the noise again so he can try to figure out what's wrong with it. So when he says that Scripture is profitable for reproof, uh, the Scriptures will show you where you're wrong. The, the, the Scriptures will identify for you, uh, you know, where you're off, where you in areas of your thinking, in areas of your behavior, in areas of your emotion, in, in areas of even like um, your quality of life. Uh, we see that the, the scriptures teach us about a quality of life uh, of abundance and, and things of this nature. And so when we're you know, reading and, and learning and growing in, in the scriptures, uh, one of the things that they're so beneficial for is to show us areas in our lives where we're wrong. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I was wrong and thought I was right. I, I was wrong and I didn't know that I was wrong. And, and that's a very dangerous place uh, to be. 
And so we need the Word of God to show us areas in our lives where, where we're wrong, where things are not right, where things need to change. Now, one of the, one of the stories that, that we'll get into in the days ahead was, if you recall, uh, Daniel, in his uh, you know, study of the Scriptures, he realized that there were some things that God had promised to the nation of Israel through the prophets that should have already come to pass that had not yet come to pass. And so he recognized this as, as a problem, that there should be something going on, there should be uh, a deliverance and a breakthrough that had not yet occurred. And so he committed himself to prayer and fasting uh, because he wanted to see the will of God uh, being done and coming to pass, uh, not just for himself, but also for his uh, you know, fellow countrymen. So this is another way where the, the Scriptures provide reproof for us. They, they, they show us um, what should be uh, happening in our lives, what we should be experiencing, what we should be enjoying. Now, one of the critical mistakes that a lot of people make when it comes to the Scriptures bringing reproof, especially as it applies to uh, revealing to us how things should be, how we should be living, the, the kinds of things we should be experiencing, we should be accomplishing, overcoming, these kinds of things, is people have a tendency to bring the Word of God down to their level to match their experience. Please don't make that critical. It could potentially even be a fatal mistake in your life. If, if when you are studying the Scriptures and the Scriptures are saying things like, how about this is a, a really powerful one and what some may consider extreme. Jesus said the works that He did, you would do also. The works that I did, that, that, that He did, that Jesus did, that I would do also, that you would do also. Now, you know, you're reading along and you're thinking, man, I, I'm not really seeing that. Uh, and just to clarify, Jesus said these works and greater. So, um, so you look at that, and, and I'll tell you what so many in Christianity today are doing with that. They're looking at that, and they're going, well, he must mean something different here. He, because we're not experiencing this in our, daily, in our daily walks. We're not experiencing this in our churches. We're not experiencing this um, you know, you know, rampantly throughout the body of Christ. Then the thinking goes, well, he must have meant something different. He, he must have... It must not mean what, what it clearly and plainly means. This is, this is, this is an example of, of what I'm saying, taking the Word of God, which is you know, wanting you know, up here, and, and bringing it down to match our experience. Instead, what we need to do is give the Word of God that place of supremacy in our lives, and, th and then like Daniel, you know, God, your Word says that I should be experiencing this, and that we should be seeing these things, and, and we should be having this, and we should be living on this level, and, and it's clear, Father, that we're not. Uh, so help us experience this higher level of life. Rather than bringing the Word down to match your experience, let the Word of God bring your experience up to a, to a higher level. Uh, and so th this is the, the benefit, among the benefits and value of reproof. But notice that it says for reproof and then also for correction. For correction. So the beautiful thing about both reproof and correction, think of reproof as identifying the problem and then correction, correcting or repairing or fixing the problem. So the Word of God has both the ability to identify what's wrong, what's missing, what's broken, what's lacking in our lives, but it at the same time has the ability 
to correct, to, to fix, to, to prosper, to accomplish things in our lives. Um, I often use an example of like um, uh, antivirus software in a computer. And if you understand how that works, you know, you get some kind of problem or hiccup virus related in your computer. Well, there's software that you can put in the computer that will go in there and not only identify what's uh, wrong, what's broken, what's not aligned correctly, but that same software has the ability to correct the problem. And so the Word of God is exactly like that, for reproof, for correction. And then the last phrase in verse 16 is for instruction in righteousness. For instruction in righteousness. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, and yeah. So for those of you who online maybe couldn't hear what Sister Pam was saying, um, there's a lot of confusion today as well in the body of Christ about how it is that God goes about correcting us, and so I appreciate you. Uh, bringing that point up, there, there. I've heard people say things like, you know, God used a car accident to correct them, or, or this kind of thing. And, and the Bible's very clear about this. God is the Father of our spirits. And you, you take like an extreme example of of the of the uh, rich man and Lazarus, and and Lazarus, of course, was, you know, had sores and and just desired crumbs from the rich man's table, and he wouldn't give them to him. Uh, but then they both died. The 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 rich man went to hell, the, and it's a real place, by the way, and, and uh, Lazarus went to Abraham's uh, bosom, a holding place, you know, waiting for Jesus to come preach the gospel to them. And, um, and if you recall, that rich man said, you know, will you, uh, will you send uh, someone back from the dead to warn my brothers? And Jesus says they have the scriptures. If they won't listen to the scriptures, it wouldn't matter if they saw a man raised from the dead. It would not convince them. And I, I know that we hear that and we think, man, you know, if I saw somebody raised from the dead, I would be a true believer, you know. But see, one has to do something with, with something external, while the other has to do with something internal. So Jesus said the words that I speak, their spirit and their life. Our real issues are not external. Our real issues are internal. The, the things that need to be corrected and, and, and aligned and changed and rooted out and replaced, all of these things are, are in us um, and we can't get to those things uh, with physical means. Um, when we get to, to te teaching on the spirit, soul, and body, in emotional uh, things... Uh, we were talking about this at Heritage on Sunday. You know, we're, we're experiencing a mental health crisis in our world today. And the best answer the world has is, is some type of, of, of medicine, some type of pharmaceutical um, answer. And, and 
you know, all, all the medicine does is it, it, it turns off certain circuits in your brain. It, it does nothing to address the, the, the real root of an emotional problem because that's something that, that is not physical. It's something that is spiritual, uh, immaterial in nature. And so when we talk about how God corrects us and, and reproves us and, and these sorts of things, it's, it's with his word. And, and if we won't hear and listen to his word and allow the Holy Spirit to work alongside the word of God in our lives to produce the change and, and the, and the uh, you know, repairs and, and what have you, then, you know, again, there's, there's no amount of physical hardship, you know, that, that will, uh, you know, work in us. Here, here's, another, here's another one example. The anger of man is powerless to produce the righteousness of God. James, the Holy Spirit through James told us this, which means what? You can't get mad enough at yourself. You can't get mad enough at another person to change that person. It's, it's, it's something that, um, that anger uh, alone uh, will not uh, correct. So praise God. Um, so, the, the last phrase is for instruction in righteousness, for instruction in righteousness. When you were born again, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just something that you were given, it's something that you became. Uh, you became something through the new birth that you were not before. And one of the most important things that you became through the new birth was you became uh, a righteous right before God in the eyes of God. So notice that the scriptures are instruction in righteousness. Meaning what? Meaning you became something that you may not know a whole lot about. Uh, you, you, you were given a gift uh, in the sense that you became right before God in the eyes of God. Um, and, and someone who, who knows little to nothing about the Bible can hear the word of God, become born again, become just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus, but have little to no understanding of that. So the scriptures provide instruction in righteousness. Uh, I think I used this example last week. It would be like if, if, you, if you received uh, you know, some new piece of technology, uh, you know, a digital Apple watch or a um, or a surface tablet or something along those lines. Well, you've got it. It's yours. You bought and paid for. Um, but, you know, there's instructions in how to not just use that device, but how to get the most out of it. And so the Word of God is intended to give you instructions on how to get the most out of the righteousness that you have become, that you have been made. Now, if we swap back over, though, we see that for instruction in righteousness is not the end of the it's not the end of the thought because there's a comma there and we see in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work now let's not lose sight of what we're talking about here okay he's saying all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable it's profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for reproof, it's profitable for correction, it's profitable for instruction in righteousness, and it's also profitable to um, equip the man of God and make him or her complete, uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, it's, it's the Word of God that equips us. It's, that's where the equipping, uh, so to speak, comes from. So, you know, remember what we were saying, that... Um, it's, it's, 
you've been given the ministry of reconciliation by virtue of being reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. So that ministry has been committed to you. It's not something that, well, you know, God's going to wait and see how you do, and maybe three years after you've been born again, he'll check back with you, and if you've made enough progress, then he'll, uh, you know, give you the ministry of reconciliation, but on a trial basis. No, no, none of that. It, you reconcile to God, now you're a minister of reconciliation. But if we're going to be effective in that, and that's the key right there, that's the key word, uh, it's like righteousness. You've been given righteousness, but you need some instructions in righteousness. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but now we need to be equipped so that we can fulfill that, uh, that ministry that we have been given. So let's, uh, this word equipped is, is, is very important. If you go into the original language, equipped means competent, proficient, skilled, and capable. Amen. I like that definition right there. Equipped means competent, proficient, skilled, and capable. I'll leave that up for a minute because I know uh, some of you are taking notes, but let me keep talking about it. So when he says that Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and of all the things that Scripture is beneficial for, we see that one of the uh, things that Scripture does in our lives is that it equips us. In other words, it, it makes us competent, proficient, skilled, and capable. Competent, proficient, skilled, and capable. So think of it this way. The new birth qualifies you for the ministry of reconciliation. The new birth qualifies you for the ministry of reconciliation. But the Word of God is what's going to make you competent, proficient, skilled, and capable to do the ministry of reconciliation. So let me put that on the screen. Praise God. Um, the Word of God will make you competent, proficient, skilled, and capable to do the ministry of reconciliation. So do you see why we were talking about this last week? We simply cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the Word of reconciliation. That's one of the reasons Father has committed the word of reconciliation to us. Now, in the beginning of these classes, we talked about the perspective from which these classes would be taught. And the perspective is not just to benefit you personally, but it's to equip you to be able to minister to other people. Now, that doesn't mean that the word of God you know, should not benefit you personally. It absolutely will benefit you personally. Um, but notice that as you're growing and developing in the things of God, you're becoming more competent, more proficient, more skilled to be able to minister to other people. So it's not an either-or thing. It's something that we need to see as a both-and. In other words, we benefit. How could we not benefit? How could we not grow and develop? But for so many in the body of Christ, they view everything from the perspective of what's in this for me, what, how will I benefit from this, how will this help me personally, when our focus should be on um, what can we do to be better equipped, more competent, more proficient, more skilled, more capable to uh, fulfill our purpose and destiny in our Father's kingdom. So we could say it this way, the more we know the word of reconciliation, the more effective we will be in the ministry of reconciliation. 
the more, and that's a general statement, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify it uh, as we move forward tonight, but the more we know the word of reconciliation, um, the more effective we will be in the ministry of reconciliation. These things, again, are, um, are linked together. There's no separating um, uh, the word of God from discipleship. There, there's, there, there's no way that we could ever uh, grow in the things of God apart from growing in the Word of God. Uh, this is why we, we see the Word of God uh, compared to milk. Um, my uh, uh, newest grandson, uh, he is um, growing. And he's growing because he's eating. And he's eating uh, at seven weeks old, right? Uh, he's nursing. In other words, he's, he's drinking milk. And the Bible says that newborn babes in Christ should desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why? So that they may grow thereby. So that they may grow thereby. So the more we know the Word of Reconciliation, the more effective we will be in the ministry of Reconciliation. You, 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 you can't separate growing in the things of God from growing in uh, the Word of God. You know, we see in Scriptures things like that, that the knowledge of God would be multiplied uh, that the grace would rather be multiplied in our lives through the factor of our, the knowledge of God. There's so many things that God wants to do in our lives are, are all based upon, dependent upon, hinging upon our growing in a knowledge of His Word, an understanding um, of uh, His um, Word. Praise God, man, there's just so many things firing off in, in, my, in my heart right now uh, about that. And how about this? We, we see in Hosea 4, 6, God said that his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And, and we, if you keep reading on into the, into the deeper down into that, that passage, you see that, that they um, don't have knowledge because they've rejected knowledge. It's not that it wasn't available. It's just that they didn't avail themselves to it. In Isaiah 5 and 13, we see uh, where God says that his mighty men are famished uh, with a hunger that can't be satisfied and a thirst that can't be quenched because of a lack of knowledge. So, so much of what God desires to do in our lives based, is based upon us growing in an understanding and in a knowledge of the Word of God. When we talk about things like taking our position and, and using the authority that we've been given, well, folks are not going to bind the devil if they don't know that they've been given the authority to bind the devil. People aren't going to release, uh, you know, angelic spirits and healing and, and, and the things of heaven if they don't understand that they've been given the keys to the kingdom uh, uh, so that they can, whatever they loose on earth will be loosed uh, in heaven and whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And we just go on and on and on. It's not that these things aren't for every born-again believer, but so many of God's people, they have no knowledge of these things. They have no understanding of these things. Uh, we've talked about righteousness and instruction in righteousness. So many of God's people are more aware of the sinner that they were than the righteous child of God that they've become. They still see themselves as a sinner. They, they, they crawl you know, before God's throne like beggars uh, when He has clearly told us to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. So it knows all of these things, and I could just go on and on and on with this, it's, it's because people have no knowledge of it. Um, how about this one? How easy would it be for a thief to steal something from you that you didn't know was yours? You know, if, if, 
obviously, if, if a thief stole your car, and so whenever you left work or whatever, you went out in the parking lot and it's not there, then you knew it was there. You know you have a car, and so you're going to call the police and, and report it stolen, what have you. But if, if a relative that you've never met left you uh, a 1957 Corvette in their wheel, uh, and you never knew it, and somebody stole it, you, you, all that would take place outside of your realm of knowledge or understanding. And this is, this is why the devil is able to steal so much from God's people. It's because we have no knowledge of, of, of what belongs to us. We have no knowledge of, of who we truly are. And, and, and so we talk about just being an old sinner saved by grace and this and that. Uh, all of that is, is just, you know, it's just telegraphing the ignorance um, the lack of knowledge that, that people have uh, when it comes to, you know, the Word of God and, and the things of God. So, again, discipleship is about a lot of things. I'm not going to try to go back and review all the things that we've already covered in previous classes. But you, you, can't, you can't separate um, continuing in the Word from discipleship. These, these two are dependent upon one another. Now, I don't, I don't say the other side of the coin. It's, we're not talking about just a, a, an intellectual knowledge of the Word of God because some of the more knowledgeable people of the Word of God in, in, in their day uh, stripped Jesus naked and nailed Him to a cross. I'm talking about the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They could quote the Old Testament from memory, um, but they had no knowledge of God. So I'm not just talking about an intellectual knowledge. I'm not just talking about um, what, what the old-timers would, would call knowing it by rote, in, in other words, where you can just, you know, on demand uh, spill out a bunch of Bible verses. Uh, I was um, back uh, in the springtime. I uh, was uh, in a... Uh, I, amen, praise God. Let's just say I was somewhere in public and there was someone who was in a lot of pain and... Um, and I actually heard them praying to God for help. And the Holy Spirit just really prompted me. And so um, I, I went to them. I, I really believed that, you know, the Lord had anointed me to lay hands on them and, and for, the, for healing to manifest in their body. And it was a younger person. And, and um, so, I, you know, I didn't come. The Bible says lay hands on no person suddenly. And so, you know, I just tried to ease into a conversation. I said, hey, brother, you know, I, I heard you praying and and I, I'm a believer too, man. And and uh, um, uh, I, you know, and he just, boom. I mean, just right up in my face, man. Just um, telling me where I was wrong and this and that, and quoting verse after verse after verse. And and uh, it, it was really uh, a sad and, and disappointing experience uh, because here was a young man who, um, as a matter of fact, I I tried to just, you know, okay, brother, listen, I, I love you. I just I knew you were hurting, and I, I was wanting to agree with you in prayer, but it's fine, you know, if, uh, you know, I wasn't a part of his denomination. It's just a lot of things that, that he <laughs> just kind of dismissed me, you know, which is okay, praise God. I mean, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, but I walked off, and it was still bothering me, and so I came back, and I said, sir, I said, I, I said, young, I said, I think I said, young man, I said, young man, I said, brother, I said, listen, I said, I, I'm just trying to tell you, this is not something I, I normally do. I really felt like, the Lord laid it on my heart to, you know, to, to speak with you and to minister to you and, you know, just give him another chance. And, um, and you know what he told me? He said, he said, he told you to do that so I could tell you the truth. I said, 
Okay, amen. You be blessed, brother, you know. And uh, so, uh, amen. Um, so, you know, obviously here was somebody who, who was, he could quote all kinds of Bible verses, uh, but again, the letter uh, kills the spirit, gives life. So when we, when we talk about growing in, a, in the knowledge of God's word, we're talking about in the light and in the vein of Jesus' perfect theology. In, in other words, learning uh, the word from the word made flesh, not, not just um, you know, the, the one-dimensional ink on paper, but the multi-dimensional living Christ as the Holy Spirit reveals him to you through um, the word of God. Amen. Now, let's um, praise God. So when I say knowing the Bible or knowing the word of God, that's important, but you, when you get into the original language, there are multiple words in the Greek language translated into our singular word, uh, know. Um, one of the more uh, intimate ones we find even in Hebrew uh, that, that would have to do with um, a, a man knowing a woman, which is talking about intimacy there. Um, and, and so there's, there's to, to simply, there are different levels and degrees and depths of, of knowing, amen, um, with, with uh, the intimate knowledge, uh, personal knowledge, uh, where literally the Holy Spirit is engrafting and imparting uh, things into you, inside of you, praise God, um, being the most beautiful. That's why a lot of times when I begin this class, I'll, I'll pray that the Lord give us not information, but revelation. Um, information is something that comes from the outs, uh, outside of you into you. Revelation is something that comes from the inside of you out of you. And, and that's what we're uh, after more than anything is, is, is that pursuit, okay? But I want to, uh, you know, for our discussion, I want to show you two key areas of learning and knowing and growing in, uh, in the Word of God. And so I'll introduce them both uh, to you now. And then we'll talk about them individually. But uh, when we talk about, you know, the, the word of reconciliation and the more we know the word of, reconcil word of reconciliation, the more effective we'll be in the ministry of reconciliation, we're talking about more than just, again, a familiarity or um, a baseline knowledge of. Um, but we must learn to, and, and here's two key areas, okay? Number one, we must learn to rightly divide the Word of God. Rightly divide the Word of God. I'll show you that uh, in Scripture in just a moment. So we must learn to rightly divide the Word of God. And then number two, we must learn to skillfully apply the Word of God. So the Word of God must be rightly divided and it must be skillfully applied. Rightly divided and skillfully applied. So let's, um, let's real quick, like I want to give you the two verses for both of these, and then we'll spend a little more time talking about what it means to rightly divide the Word of God. So if we go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, praise God, this is where we uh, find um, this uh, expression, rightly dividing the Word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Now, really want you to bring your hearts to attention, let the Holy Spirit help you in what we're talking about right now, because 
There are a lot of God's people suffering today because of a failure to rightly divide the word of truth, okay? There are a lot of people who are confused. There are a lot of people living far beneath their privilege. A lot of people that are not fulfilling their purpose and destiny because of a failure in this one key area. They do not know how to rightly divide the word of God. A lot of people and a lot of God's ministers, they feel a compulsion to balance the Word of God instead of dividing it. And I'll explain to you a little more about what, um, what that means. But let's look at the Bible first. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. This is from the King James Version. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's talk about the first two phrases in this passage before we get to the one we're focused on. Study to show thyself approved unto God. This, this one uh, fits uh, beautifully with uh, 3.16, the passage that we looked at before this, in the sense that he's saying study to reveal your approval, not, as many people hear this, he did not say, so listen, let me, let me make it clear. He did not stay, say, study to be approved. He didn't say, look, you've you got to study a certain number of hours a week if you expect God to approve of you. That's not what he said. See, when we, that's how the world works, and that's why so many of us think that that's the way God works, because you know, you've got to earn everything in this world, in the world system. Uh, and so even like, let's say you try out for the football team or the ladies, you know, cheerleading squad. Um, it's one thing to uh, make the team. It's another thing altogether to be accepted by and approved of by the team. Um, and, and so even when we get the position, we still have this mindset in so many areas in our, in our life that the approval and the acceptance has to be earned. And then once it's earned, it has to be maintained. You know, what have you done for me lately? So here he's saying that we should study, obviously the scriptures is what's, what's being uh, implied here, is that the understood subject is that, is that we should study the scriptures to show ourselves for, for the approval that we've already received from God, uh, the inward reality of the new birth uh, becoming an outward expression of life. The, the righteousness that we've already um, been given and been made, um, we, we need to grow in the Scriptures and grow in the, in the truth, grow up in the things of God, so that the, the righteousness that we've been made will translate into uh, right or righteous uh, living. So study to show yourself approved unto God. And then he says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So notice it's not just you know, study so that your approval will be known to other people. But the implications here are the idea of doing work. <laughs> this is back to um, what we said earlier. Um, it's, it's not just what's in it for me. How can I benefit from this? How can I grow from, from this? How can I... Uh, have a better quality of life, uh, 
from the Word of God, but it's so that we can become equipped to do what it is that God has put us on this earth to do. Again, remember, uh, separate continuing in the Word from discipleship, um, nor can you separate uh, this, this idea that we can somehow grow to the levels that God wants us to grow to uh, without ever doing anything for anybody else. So study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. To, to fully understand a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, just ask yourself this question. What would cause a worker, uh, it, it would be a worker who set out to accomplish some task and failed at it. This, this is the idea here of a, of a workman that would be ashamed, would be a workman that got in over his or her head, maybe... Um, you got hired for a job uh, uh, because you knew somebody or what have you, and then you know you get in the middle of that job, and now you realize, man, you you don't have the um, the, the the giftings or, or what have you. I'm just throwing out scenarios here. So the idea is that a workman that would be ashamed would be a workman that got involved in some task or some endeavor that uh, couldn't see it through to the end, that couldn't perform, that couldn't uh, get the job done. So again, a very strong tie back to uh, the Word of God alive and active in our lives, enabling us to, uh, to achieve and to accomplish what it is that we have uh, been given, the ministry that we've been given. And then this, this last phrase, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Now, to divide something means to cut or <laughs> to divide it. So, you know, if, if you've got one piece of paper and you divide it, you're going to you know, take some scissors and cut it in half or, you know, fold it and make a weak point in it and tear it in half or whatever. But the idea, again, is, uh, you know, you, in other words, you don't need, like, a, a, a doctorate degree in, in the, the Greek language to understand what he means. It's, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like to rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. I want to at least introduce the concept of skillfully applying the word um, but before we do that, let, let, let me just get a bit ahead of myself because I, I, I want us to turn to Hebrews 5 in just a moment. But, but think about it for a moment. Um, there's one really obvious division uh, that's in the Word of God that needs to be made. And, and that obvious division is separating, dividing the part that's old from the part that's new. Um, and so just kind of a little bit of a clue as to where we're going to be going here in a few minutes. But... Remember, we must learn to do two things, not one, two things. And these two things work together as well. We must learn to rightly divide the Word of God, and then we must learn to skillfully apply it. So go with me now. Let's talk. I'll introduce um, skillfully apply, and then we'll come back and spend a little more time with rightly divide. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. Uh, turn there with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 5 and, um, and verse Number 12, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, Hebrews 5 and 12. It says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. This is the next verse. I'm going to leave those two verses on the screen because I want to comment on those. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So notice now, we're, we're back to it's another place where we see in the Scriptures that our spiritual growth and development um, is, uh, it follows a similar uh, growth track or stages of growth and development as our physical growth and development. We see in scriptures those who are as spiritual babies. Uh, we also see in scripture those who are as spiritual children and then those who are as spiritual adults. Okay, So uh, a baby, uh, a child, and then an adult. And here we have it very clear that there are folks who were in the church, in other words, had been born again, uh, and had uh, been saved or born again uh, long enough to where they should be teaching others. Uh, for though by this time, let me put, put it back on the screen, for though by this time, meaning it's been long enough, they've, they've, they've been saved long enough, they've been in the church long enough, they've attended enough classes and, and so forth and so on, that they ought to be teachers, but we see that they're not. Instead of being <coughs> teachers, they need someone to teach them again, meaning they've already been taught more than once, the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. So one thing that this verse really clarifies for us is that spiritual growth can be compared to physical growth and development in the sense of going from an infant to a child, from a child to an adult. But where it differs from the, the physical uh, growth track is, is this. Um, someone could be born again for 20 years and still be a spiritual baby. Um, <laughs> I know that's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's pretty much what he's saying here, uh, that they had enough tenure as, as, you know, in the church as, as having received salvation to be teaching and leading other people, but they need somebody one more time, again, uh, to go over with them the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk, he says, milk and not solid food. Now, if, if you think about the difference between a milk-based meal versus um, a meat and potatoes-based meal, um, the, 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 the milk is... Uh, much easier to prepare, it's much easier to ingest, and it's much easier to digest. When we're talking about a meal of meat and potatoes, this requires more effort to prepare. It requires more effort to consume, to ingest, and it requires more effort to digest, to process. The digestion process is when it literally becomes a part of you. Uh, James, the Holy Spirit through James referred to it as the engrafted Word of God, where it literally uh, becomes a part of who you are, the Word of God. And this is obviously the goal that Father has for us, for His truth to become a part of who we are. So notice that we've got folks who are still 
drinking from uh, either a bottle or at least a cup, maybe they've progressed to that point that they can hold their own cup. <laughs> what's, what's that? My grandson has sippy cup. My children have sippy cup, right? So maybe they, they no longer got a bottle with a nipple. Maybe they've progressed to a, to a sippy cup. But if you notice, there's, there's a reason for this. He says that solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And what's the characteristic of someone who's of full age? Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So one of the issues that's clear here is that there's some laziness on, on these people's part that has kept them in a state of perpetual infancy in, in the things of God. Uh, again, it requires more effort. Uh, you, you, I don't mean to simplify or trivialize this, but you know, there's all kinds of churches that, that offer all kinds of ministry uh, in our world today, and I'm, I'm certainly nobody's judge, but when we talk about enduring sound doctrine, um, this is going to require a little bit more than uh, a video clip from a sitcom and a lesson on telling the truth, uh, even when it's not convenient. Um, th those things are important, but notice that's an easy meal to prepare, it's an easy meal to ingest, and it's an easy meal to digest, but the real growth comes from the protein, from the meat and the potatoes. And, and these, these things require more effort on the preparer, the teacher. They require more effort on the, on the hearer, the, the, the participant, the congregation, what have you. Um, and then they also, you know, just because you are served a meal of meat and potatoes, and that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to ingest it and digest it. So digesting the Word of God uh, is... In other words, when you hear a sermon or a class, you know, someone uh, speaking the, the Word of God under the anointing to you, then these are things that you're supposed to carry with you. <laughs> these are things that um, we've got a, a sister in, in class, and, and uh, uh, she had some very encouraging things to say to me about a, uh, some sermons I'd preached you know, several weeks ago. Um, but again, this was something that she heard on a Sunday morning in about 40 minutes, but it was something that she was digesting and incorporating into and allowing to become a part of her um, multiple hours a day for several days in a row. Uh, in other words, it wasn't just a sermon that she heard, maybe took a few notes on, said amen to, and then went on like she never heard it. Um, and so this is where the by reason of use the difference is in the doing. It's not just being a hearer of the, of the Word, because if we only hear the Word and never try to do what the Word of God you know, is, is instructing us to do, the Bible says we've only succeeded in deceiving ourselves. And so this is where the by reason of use part comes in uh, in, uh, in verse 14. Now, there's one last part of this, and that's the part, obviously, that we're, we're here to, uh, um, to see. And that's verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. One more time, unskilled, unskilled. Pay close attention now because he didn't say they were unknowledgeable. Didn't say that they didn't know it. He said that they were unskilled. 
it's one thing to know, it's another thing for that knowledge to become a developed and practiced skill in your life. Back to, one more time, the difference is in the doing. So he's talking to a group of people who knew a great deal about the Word of God, but it says they were unskilled. So I'm, I'm trying to clarify a point that we made earlier that you know, as we grow in our knowledge, the more we know about the Word of Reconciliation, the more skilled we will be uh, in the ministry of Reconciliation. I stand by that statement as long as we understand what, we, what we're talking about here in knowledge. We're not just talking about like having you know, an intellectual, mental ascent knowledge to these things, but we're talking about knowledge that is being developed into a skill in our lives where we're able to take what God is saying to us and, and we actually begin to do that uh, and practice those things uh, in our lives. Amen. I, I know I keep referring back to some things that we've, we've been studying here on Sundays recently at Heritage, um, but the Scriptures say that if you commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. Nothing influences or impacts your life reality more than your established thoughts. And so it's one thing to have a knowledge of God's Word. It's another thing for His Word to form and, and forge and become uh, your established thoughts, where you literally think the way God thinks, and that's His ultimate goal for us as, as disciples, where we see things the way He sees them and say about things what He says about them. Uh, the, the disciple is not above his master, but if he's perfectly trained, he'll be just like his master. Uh, Didasco, Manthano where the teaching is designed to assimilate um, the teacher into the student, uh, so forth and so on, all these things that we've, we've covered uh, in depth. And so it's, it's, it's one thing to have this mental ascent type knowledge, but where our thoughts become established is when we commit to do it. It's when we commit ourselves to this is how we're going to do it, this is what we're going to do, we're not waiting until um, Wednesday evening or Sunday night or whenever your church may, may, may meet, you know. Um, to decide whether or not we're going, um, you know, we, we've we've already nailed it down. It's it's not up for negotiation. Um, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to live. This is what we're going to do with our money. This is what. Again, not I'm not just telling you just to, you know, pull those things out of your left ear and, but back to what does the word say? Finding out what the word says about these things, making the word of God and the ways of God a priority in our lives, committing ourselves to it. This is how our thoughts become established and, and settled um, and fixed, if you will, in the, in the Word of God and the ways of God. And uh, we also have another word for that. It's called growth. It's called going from a, a, an infant to a child and from a child to an adult. So notice again, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. All right. Let's, um, let's do this. We're going we're gonna to circle back around. I've got more to say on both of these. But when we talk about rightly dividing the Word of God, I'm, I'm probably going to spend more time with that one. Uh, do what now? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I need to know it. Um, it says perfect streaming. Amen. So I apologize. I think some of you are, are texting in and, and saying that we're having some issues. I, 
I don't, the computer may have cut off on the part when I said this, or I may not, I may have said it before we actually started the class. I think that's right. We, I said this before we started class, but I have actually ordered a, uh, a new computer with uh, more uh, processing power, and hopefully that's going to correct this because we do not have these issues with the sanctuary uh, computer, but it's a desktop. And um, in here in the classroom, uh, we're using um, a laptop. And so that's been, you know, some of the folks that we've consulted, they, they think that is, is more than likely our issue. Um, and not so much the, the CPU, but the GPU, the graphics processing. So um, let me just say this. We, <laughs> I'm thankful for it, but we have a thoroughbred uh, computer on the way. I had to order it. It's being built. Um, but hopefully that will eliminate some of these issues. And I... I apologize, amen, but God is good, amen, and, and um, if I have to, I'll just reteach the whole class. I'm, this is too important for, for those of you who, who have uh, been a part of it uh, to miss, so praise God. Sometimes now, let me say this, sometimes we get those, um, now before it was, I mean, I, you can't see it, but right here on the computer screen, uh, it was, I had to actually reboot and restart, okay? Uh, the problems we had at the beginning of the class. But every now and then, we, it's actually a connection issue owned on the student's end as opposed to a streaming issue on our end. Um, but when I glance down here, uh, I've stayed in the green uh, pretty much most of the class, but I, I have consistently had a yellow uh, warning um, that we're losing quality. So anyway, praise God, enough of all that. Let's get back to... Um, when I say enough of all that, please, if you have more issues, let us know because we want to make sure uh, that we're doing the best job we can on our end. Um, but I want to spend some time rightly dividing the Word of God because two, number two, skillfully applying it um, is never going to work unless you first rightly divide it. <laughs> uh, so... When I say we're starting with number one and we're going to spend more time on number one, more time may not be the right way of saying this because once we really understand what it means to and how to accurately divide the Word of God, um, then we're in a position uh, to, uh, to skillfully apply it and, and ultimately help other people uh, skillfully uh, apply it. So um, an excerpt from... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, um, it, it warns us uh, you know, to not walk in craftiness nor to handle the Word of God deceitfully. To not walk in craftiness nor to handle the Word of God deceitfully. So, in Paul's day, you, you had different categories of what I'm going to say ministers, okay, just to kind of give a general term. You had men like Peter and uh, Paul and Barnabas and, I mean, just a whole list of them, a whole slew of them. Um, man, they're, they're hard, they were sold out to God. They were, you know, to do whatever needed to be done, uh, and the church was literally exploding. I mean, 3,000 born again in one session, 5,000 in another, um, so you've got a lot happening, and it's happening quickly. And you then have people who uh, also mean well, and they're wanting in on the latest and greatest and newest thing, but they really didn't know 
much of anything about Jesus. And they had their own agendas. Um, and so they would come in to the church and they would teach things that were actually contrary to the truth that, um, that the Holy Spirit had revealed to the apostles. And you know, we see this was uh, of great frustration to the Apostle Paul. And even to the Galatians, you know, he, he gave this bold of a statement by the Holy Spirit. He said that he didn't care if it was an angel who came amongst them. If they preached a different gospel than one he had preached by the Holy Spirit to let them be accursed. Now that, that's some strong statements right there, okay? Uh, but I said three categories. So you've got the folks that are, that are on track. doesn't mean they're infallible. doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. And we see, if you read the Gospels carefully, I mean, I'm sorry, if you, well, <laughs> obviously the Gospels, you see some of the mistakes that the disciples made. But, but I'm, I'm even in the, uh, in the epistles, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you see where they were calling one another out and arguments and going their separate ways. And, you know, they're growing just like any of us. Um, so I'm not trying to imply that they, they you know, didn't have their own issues to grow through and work through. Um, and we see that, and it's beautiful. Um, but you know, we see that, that so many of those men, and even women, I mean, they were committed to this thing literally to the death. Right? Then you had folks who wanted to get in on it but didn't really know, and, and they were bringing their own agenda. And then the third category, as, as odd as this may sound, is that you actually had people who were preaching the gospel who didn't necessarily even believe in the gospel, but they were doing it to stir up um, a contradiction and people against primarily the Apostle Paul, but, but other the apostles. So just a lot of that that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's going on. Now, this is, again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul about people who are handling the Word of God deceitfully. We see that there were those, just like there are people in our day, um, who saw it as an opportunity to cash in financially. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, and man, if you read the early parts of the book of Acts, you see that folks were selling, um, you know, their houses and, and, and properties and, and things of this nature and laying them at the apostles' feet. And, and, you know, something about when the Holy Spirit starts moving in a person's life, man, we start getting generous and, and so... But there's, so there's a lot of money coming into the church, a lot of people coming into the church. And so you had a lot of people that were trying to get in on this, not for selfish gain, as, as, the, as the Bible says. Okay. Um, well, in, in our day and age, there's certainly that same element of people um, that, you know, just involved in the ministry for what they can get out of it. And, and, and uh, their main desire is, is their own you know, financial benefit or, wh or what have you. Um, and so there's a lot of people, well-meaning, all the way on the other end of the spectrum, enemies um, of the church and of the gospel who handle the Word of God deceitfully. Um, let me remind you that it was Satan who handled the Word of God deceitfully when uh, Jesus, re you know, resisted temptation by quoting the Word of God. Then so the devil just came right back at him, you know, quoting the Bible uh, himself. So the Word of God is living, it's powerful, we've already covered this. And so we need to approach the Word of God 
with the same respect that we would approach Jesus with. We, we need to honor the Word of God with the same awe and the same reverence and the same sense of, of holy and, and sacred uh, that we would uh, approach the person um, of, of Jesus with. Uh, th this is uh, very, 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 very important. Um, there are enough people in the world who are incorrectly dividing the Word of God and preaching a confused message to God's people, and we certainly do not want to be among those. Now, let's go back to Jesus on trial before Pilate, and he says that I'm here to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate, I picture him just kind of throwing up his hands in frustration and like, what is truth? I mean, it's, you know, everybody talking about truth this, truth that. How are we ever going to know what is truth? Well, you have two witnesses um, so that you will know for yourself first and then so you can help other people. Um, two witnesses. You have the Word of God, the written Word of God, and then you have the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Word of God bears witness outwardly, you know, in other words, as, as you are growing and learning, and so now we're going to start rightly dividing and, and, and literally taking a knife to the Bible, you know, it's like, oh, no thank you, you know, uh, I think I'll just uh, stay away from that, um, and that's, a lot of people are afraid to do it, you know, it needs to be done, but they're afraid to do it because they're afraid they'll be wrong, so you've got the scriptures uh, and the witness of the scriptures, that's why we should operate by uh, the rule of two or three witnesses. If you think the Holy Spirit is showing you something in a verse, then He will show you other verses in the Word of God to confirm it. You've got to let the Bible interpret itself. A lot of people incorrectly divide the Word of God because they start trying to come up with their own ideas of what something means rather than going to the Word. A classic example of this is when um, Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God. And I've heard people say for years it wasn't accepted because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. Um, there's no mention of redemption. There's no mention of atonement in this sacrifice. Um, this was a, a, an offering that was brought before God to honor God. Um, Abel's uh, offering was accepted. Cain's was rejected. Um, Abel brought an animal. Uh, Cain brought the fruit because he was a farmer. Uh, if you look carefully at the scriptures... It had nothing to do with his offering uh, not being a blood sacrifice. We see when God gave the law through Moses that he accepts all grain offerings and fruit offerings and first fruits and all these things. If you go all the way over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, you see that Cain's offering was not accepted because it was not offered by faith, and it was not offered by faith because it was not an, an, an offering of excellence. He, did, he didn't give God of his best. He gave God of his second or of his third best, okay? So I'm just using that as an example. How do we know the truth? We, first of all, we know it by what the Word says. What does the Word say? But then also Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in all truth. So we have the inward witness of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to reveal truth to us and to unlock um, our understanding uh, of what is true and what is um, uh, error. Okay, now... Thank you, Jesus. So most of the error resulting uh, in confusion and ineffectiveness in the body of Christ today can be traced back to incorrectly dividing the Word of God. 
I mentioned it a moment ago, I'll say it again, the classic mistake is that many um, try to balance the word instead of rightly divide it. Now, here, here is an, an example um, of, of what I mean by balancing the word of God. As a young man, I would, I would notice that um, you, know, you, you may hear a sermon one Sunday on uh, how good God is and, and how much uh, He wants to bless us and His desire for us to live in abundance. And, and, and so praise God, you know. Uh, then maybe later that night in you know, an evening service or maybe in, in you know, next week or, or, or month, you know, if, if there was a sermon series, you would then hear a series that would basically be the opposite of that one. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I had one pastor, and, and again, I'm just, you know, you know, he made the statement from the pulpit that um, God uh, will, will bless you and heal your body, or he'll curse you and kill you slap dead. You know, and so you're like, man, you know, what? Praise God, and, or don't praise God. That's not something we say amen to, right? So be it. So, there's so many people that are confused um, and the confusion again comes from an inability or a refusal to rightly divide the word of God and so the compulsion to balance is okay so we've presented this side of God um, but now we need to present this side and because of a failure to understand, for example, what is the Old Testament about and what is it for? What is the New Testament about and what is it for? What are the, what are the main takeaways from both of these? Why in the Old Testament did it seem that God was only interested in the property and the land and not the people? In the New Testament, he's interested in the people but not the property and the land there's this, there's all of these these things and it and and when you look at you know what we see in the old testament versus what we see in the new testament uh, you can understand why people are confused if they're trying to somehow balance the two against one another instead of viewing it as the scriptures say that the that the when jesus came he fulfilled the old and, and, and now it's passing away, and he has come to establish the new. So it's a good thing for the heart to be established in grace. Um, I, I explain it this way. Uh, for me personally, I am, I'm going to use a big word on you now, I am an expositor of the Old Testament. What does that mean? We could say it this way. I'm an explainer, okay? I, I, I explain uh, the Old Testament as it relates to and as it in many cases points to Jesus and the New Testament. But let me finish the statement. I'm an expositor of the Old Testament, but I am a minister of the New. I am a minister of the New. See, we don't, we don't live under the Old Covenant works-based approach to being right with God that was the Old Testament. We now are under a new covenant, a new operating agreement with God, and a failure to divide one from the other, to rightly divide uh, along these lines, is going to leave 
people in a great deal of confusion. All right. So we'll, we'll talk more along these lines. I've got a few more minutes that I want to uh, at least go a little deeper in all of this. Uh, and then we'll obviously jump back in here next week. So if we're going to learn how to uh, rightly divide the Word of God, I, um, I knew when I was very young that I was called into the ministry, but the ways that I knew that this was a call on my life was, uh, believe it or not, is I didn't want to do it. I, I, I was more interested in being a medical doctor and a surgeon. Uh, I love to take things apart and see how they work and put them back together and and you know, I have tremendous respect for a man or a woman who can take a scalpel uh, or a robot now, you know, and, uh, and, and cut into a human body and, and go in there and, and, and fix that and, and sew them back up. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's just a you know, fascinating thing. Understanding that when surgeons start out, they, they don't start out on live ones. I mean, they start out on, uh, on, on cadavers and, and, and that's where they start making those first cuts and, and developing the skill and... And, and obviously, you got to be a part of that for a long time before they turn you loose in an operating theater with a, with a knife and a patient. Um, but I can only imagine, I've never done it and, and, and never will, uh, but I can only imagine, you know, how a surgeon must feel, not just the first time, but after they've had 500 surgeries. You know, you would hope that they're still uh, approaching that situation with a certain fear of God and, and trusting Him for help and and, and, and these kinds of things, and, and um, not to trivialize the seriousness of, of human surgery, but what we're talking about now is in a different way, but is even more serious and more critical uh, if we're talking about taking a knife or a sword or a cleaver to the Word of God to rightly divide it. So let's talk for a minute then about the first and most obvious cut. And it's my experience that if we can effectively make this one, then all the others almost, uh, it, you still have to do it, right? But it's almost like you've got uh, the dotted lines. In other words, once, once you are able to distinguish and, and separate um, from your understanding of God and who He is and all of those things, really important fundamental things, um, you know, the difference between those two covenants, then, um, you know, where to cut the, the new, I think, becomes uh, very clear. So the first major division that we see in the Bible is the uh, old... and then build from there. So this is in an effort to, to make this so simple that it becomes understandable that we can then have something to work with and, and build on. I want you to think of the Old Testament as existing to prove to us, to prove to mankind, 
the power of sin. Now, there's a lot more there. Don't misunderstand me. There's a lot more there. For that matter, there's all kinds of you know, types and shadows. Jesus is all through. He's on every page of the Old Testament. Um, you know, pointing to Him, speaking of Him, revealing to Him prophetically. Um, I mean, all the way down to the details of His death, His crucifixion. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but when I'm, we're talking about making the cut, okay, I want you to think of the Old Testament existing to prove to us the power of sin. And we see this in Romans 3 where he, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says the Scriptures has what? Has concluded all under sin. Both the Jew and the non-Jew uh, need a Savior. So the Old Testament exists to reveal to us, make it plain for us, through many generations and through many life experiences. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's often referred to as, you know, as the law of sin and death, which that's technically not the Old Testament. But um, if you think of the Old Testament in light of sin and death, there's a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of death. A whole lot of bloodshed. A whole lot of people uh, losing their lives in that Old Testament. So in the same way that the Old Testament exists, just to simplify, to prove to us and reveal to us and show us for many generations the power of sin, the New Testament stands and exists to show us the power of love. The power of love. So do you understand now when I say we're starting very basic, very simple. The old reveals to us the power of sin. The new reveals to us the power of love. Timothy Keller said it this way. If a jeweler is going to try to show you and sell you a diamond, one of the first things that jeweler is going to do is pull out a black velvet cloth and lay it down first and then put the diamond on top of the um, the black velvet, because that's going to make that stone pop, okay? So think of it even in that way, in the sense that you know, when you look at the, at the Old Testament and, and the life reality of so many of those people, and don't get me wrong, there were some glorious moments uh, in, in, in the uh, Old Testament. Again, all of those things proving, um, you know, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll experience the curse, okay? Um, here's one, and I think, I think this may have come from Bill Johnson, and, and if I'm quoting him and it was somebody else, just bear with me on this. But if in the Old Testament, we see that if you touched or came in contact with a leper, you became unclean, Okay? But compare that to the New Testament. In the New Testament, you touch a leper and the leper is made clean. You, you see the difference there, right? Okay. In the Old Testament, we find the law of Moses and we see that the Old Testament was law-based and by um, extension then was a performance based approach to being right before God in the eyes of God where in the New Testament we see 
that it is a grace-based, faith-based approach to being right before God in the eyes of God. Now, notice this is one of those areas, and we will um, we'll spend some time on it uh, next week, but this is, this is perhaps one of the most confusing um, areas for a, a lot of people and it's something that the devil uses to keep a lot of people locked into uh, shame and guilt and condemnation. Um, in, in the New Testament, we see that our sin is not covered over, uh, but it's removed. To, never to be held against us, never to be uh, considered or used against us um, ever again. In the Old Testament, the remember that that covenant dealt with sin through animal sacrifices. The New Testament deals with sin completely different. The New Testament uh, has dealt with, I should say, sin uh, with the blood of Jesus, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. So we see in the Old Testament that it was more about what you do for God. In the New Testament, we see that it's about believing and receiving for yourself what God has done for you. Now, a failure to distinguish, and this is what we see, if, if, if you would, maybe before next week, you know, just read the book of Galatians, because we see that there are a whole bunch of folks who got born again, but now they're being told that if they're really going to be saved, they've got to be circumcised. They've got to do this and that from the, the old covenant law. And like I guess a lot of people would be in our day, you know, they're thinking, well, hey, you know, this is too important to risk here. Um, but Paul said that it was more than just uh, uh, ignorance on their part, but that they were being bewitched, that they were being uh, deceived, and that now they were being drawn into a, a, a way of thinking and living um, to where it became more about their works, earning or deserving God's favor and blessing. You know, he, he, he asked the question, he says, did you receive the Spirit and miracles, uh, you know, talking about the miracles being worked among them by, by the outpouring of God's Spirit and faith or, or by the works of the law? And so they struggled with this whole, you know, dividing one from the other and instead tried to find some balance between the two. All right, I'll, I'll mention one last thing and this is where we'll begin next week. The Old Testament represented an outside-in approach to life and, and, and the life that God created us to live, where the New Testament represents and is an inside-out approach. It's, it's not about what you do you know, outwardly to try to change the inside. It's what God does for you on the inside to change you outwardly 
And so we see this even in the ratification of Moses dipping a hyssop branch in a, lav in a laver of a bowl of animal blood. A hyssop branch would be a branch that almost looked like it had velvet on it. Um, so it would have some nap, like a roller, a paint roller, um, to, to hold some of the, the animal blood. And he dipped that hyssop branch in that laver and he would do this. That, uh, that blood, uh, you know, flicking his wrist, that blood on the people. And as he did that, he would say, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. You fast forward to Jesus handing his disciples a cup and saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. Dip your fingers in it and splash it on the guy sitting next to you. Is that what he said? No. He said, drink it. Drink it. Take it into you. Take it into you. So many of so many of God's people are trying to live in the new covenant with an old covenant, Old Testament mindset. In other words, we we still think like the old, trying to live in the new. This is a classic problem again from not dividing the word, but trying to mesh or blend or balance the two covenants against one another. So, um, amen. I pray that you're getting something out of this and, and uh, it's uh, stirring up some, uh, some things inside of you like it is uh, in me as well. So I'm excited to uh, spend some more time on this uh, in next class. So, but anyway, let's pray. Father, Thank you for your blessing upon us, Lord. Thank you for um, helping us, Lord, to uh, share what you had for us to share, Lord, tonight. Um, Father, that uh, your people, these your precious people, Lord, are, are feasting on you tonight. They're feasting on your word and your truth tonight, Lord, that, that even just the talk of, of rightly dividing your word and, and the ability that that has to clear up some of the confusion and and, and some of the hesitancy that results in that confusion, Lord, in our lives, uh, Lord, I believe is, 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 is stirring up uh, hope and, and understanding and wisdom, Lord, in us. Um, and so we, we, are, we are thankful for that, Lord. Father, as we, um, as we go on to our separate ways here, at, of course, at Heritage, we have a midweek service. Lord, I thank you, uh, Lord, that your hand is, is, is on us, your spirit is in us and with us. And, and Father, that um, we're going to continue to chew on these things. We're going to continue to digest these things. Uh, and Lord, they're, they're ultimately becoming, uh, you know, a part of us, uh, uh, grafted into us, Lord. Um, let everything we touch, Lord, today and the rest of this week prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Tell somebody around you good things coming. We'll see you, I don't know, Wednesday, Sunday, sometime in between. If not before, we'll see you next week. Praise God.